0: Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. Yesterday marked the 75th anniversary of the UN's Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Um, it is one of the most important uh, documents of the 20th century. We're going to learn more about it uh, when we're joined by Dr. Marianne Glendon, who is a professor emeritus of law at Harvard University, former U.S. ambassador to the Holy See. She also served as the chair of the U.S. State Department's Commission on Unalienable Rights and has authored several books, including A World Made New, Eleanor Roosevelt in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Marianne, thank you for joining me again. It's a real pleasure to hear your voice, Sal. So let's uh, let's talk about the significance of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. I think uh, in a piece that you wrote, um, you said it is the single most important reference point for cross-cultural discussion of human freedom and dignity in the world today. I think you wrote that, uh, what, uh, 20 years ago, 25 years ago. Is it still that important? Well, Al, I think
1: uh, this 75th anniversary, for the first time, is one that has passed in relative silence, Mm. and uh, I think the reason for that is that the great human rights project, with all of its successes in the late 20th century, is faltering, and uh, the consensus that was achieved in 1948, well, let's say it's not a perfect document, no document of that sort is ever going to be perfect, but it was remarkable that in 1948, the then members of the United Nations came to a consensus without a single dissenting vote, their abstentions, but no dissents, on a very small core of fundamental principles of human decency. And it's sad that today that consensus seems to be faltering.
0: Is is that because there are uh, large nation states like uh, uh, China um, who n- reject the, the, the idea of human rights as basically a Western creation.
1: Well, I think that is a large part of it, that uh, there are great powers in the world that uh, simply don't believe in human rights and are more and more overt about it, mm-hmm. but that's not the only factor. I think uh, the human rights movement, in a way, became victim of its own successes in the 20th century, and it started looking around for new rights And that introduced a whole lot of controversy that, in the end, weakened the movement. And then you have the fact that the great institutions that were supposed to protect human rights, um, the UN and uh, its affiliated institutions, that uh, they've been subject to a good deal of institutional decline, to say the least. Mm -hmm. So it's a combination of factors. But I think we tend to forget how much is at stake Right now in the world, we've got regional conflicts that are very dangerous and threatening. And if we can't get back to some kind of agreement on a few fundamental principles, we're in very big trouble.
0: Yeah. I mean, we've got uh, unrest, of course, in the Islamic uh, world. We've got the the, the Communist Party in China. And uh, there's just a lot of uh, inability... To find uh, consensus on many things, this was after the second World war, so there was a, there was a, a felt need to come up with some statement of universal rights that could potentially avoid uh, conflict in the future who it 's amazing to me that they came up with a body of rights like this. You mentioned the unanimity of those who participated. Though they could come up with a list of rights, were they able to come up with a a justification for those rights?
1: Well, they never did uh, provide it with an adequate foundation, and that was what John Paul II always pointed out. But I think uh, you mentioned that why did it happen after the Second World War? Mm-hmm. That, in a way, that was the moment, a prime moment for people to say, whoa, let's step back here yeah. and see if we can have some kind of rules-based international order. So is it really going to take another conflagration? Is it really going to take more horrors and atrocities to get to that point again? I certainly hope not. And I want to say something about Islam, because yeah, I do, I, on this anniversary, I I do look for rays of hope, and I think there's one ray of hope that is not yet well-known in the West, but is potentially very important, and that is that the largest Muslim political organization in the world, 100 million members, based in Indonesia, Mm -hmm. is promoting a kind of tolerant, inclusive form of Islam. We don't hear about it, we only hear about Islam, a certain form in the Middle East, but this is a huge organization that is openly challenging the Middle Eastern version, and most interesting to us Catholics, Al, is that they have formally uh, said in their documents that they think Islam needs to undergo something like Vatican II. Wow.
0: Isn't that something? (laughs) That's saying quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. and Indonesia is the largest uh, Muslim-dominated nation, right, in the world? It,
1: it is the largest Muslim country, and it is the largest Muslim democracy. Uh, so, and the, Isla is, and the Indonesian government is fully behind this project of humanitarian Islam, because something else that's important about Indonesia is that it's a pluralistic society. It has Hindus and other religions, mm-hmm. and so uh, from the very beginning of its founding, it announced itself as a a pluralistic, inclusive society. So that's something hopeful to watch.
0: Yeah, very good. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, Looking at the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, uh, how do do we read it? Is this a list of enumerated rights, or is this something we should read as a whole, with each part reinforcing the others?
1: Well, you sound as though you've read it, Al, and so you've probably (laughs) noticed that it isn't like our Bill of Rights, and it's not like other Bills of Rights. It's not a list that was constructed as an integrated document with all the parts related to one another, so Mm -hmm. it's not an a la carte menu, and... Mrs. Roosevelt said something really important when she presented it to the UN. She said, it's very important to know what is the nature of this document. It is a non-binding document, and it is a declaration of principles about rights. So, principles. It's a declaration of principles that are related to one another and that are in the service, as the preamble says, of a quest for better standards of life and larger freedom. And it's that, uh, that sort of got lost during Mm -hmm. the Cold War. The United States wanted the political rights and the Soviet Union wanted the economic and social principles and that started what we have now, which is, you know, a thousand different special interests claiming that they're all international human rights.
0: Yeah, yeah. And if everything uh, is a right, nothing is right. So, exactly. <laughs> uh, tell me how, I mean, how uh, wide was participation in this process? How did they come up with the list? How many nations, how many spokespeople were involved? Well, there were two
1: bodies that were involved. One was the UN Human Rights Committee, which just took all the existing rights declarations in the world and looked at them. And then there was a committee on which Jacques Maritain served to look into the theoretical bases, and they sent a questionnaire to prominent thinkers and philosophers and religious leaders. And they found to their surprise, when that questionnaire, the results came in, that there was a remarkable similarity among Cultures and religions and traditions wow. concerning a, just a few fundamental principles, and so that's what they took as their basis.
0: So, d- so they consulted uh, Hindu uh, nations or Hindu uh, do- rights documents, Islamic, Hindu,
1: yeah. Muslim, Catholic, Protestant, yes, and yeah. and uh, Confucianism because at that time. Uh, Nationalist China had a very influential representative on the Human Rights Committee.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, so th- th- this was this was not a narrow uh, outlook. This this was not just a quote Eurocentric document.
1: Well, you know, a lot of criticism was made. Much of it in bad faith, calling it a Western document. Right. And uh, But you know what I find now, when I hear people use that epithet, Western, uh, I, I what I hear is people from developing countries who, they, it's not that they resent the document, they resent the way that Western interest groups are trying to force ideas mm. on them in the name of human rights. Yeah. And I think, again, trying to be hopeful, I think more and more there is... Um, a sense that what's really important about an idea is not who had it first or where it came from. Right. Is it a good idea or is it a bad idea?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and of course, we know we've had people fighting the issue of reproductive rights, uh, uh, which has been uh, on a number of uh, nations' minds, uh, where they try to uh, force contraception and abortion on uh, various nations uh, and if that's what people are thinking is uh, Western um, yeah. know, Pope Francis, what's he call that it's existential coloni- colonizing or something of that sort he says ideological colonization yes. absolutely yeah.
1: yes that's what it is and so I think you know defenders of the Universal Declaration uh, have to uh, realize that they'll be more successful if they just stick to basic. To a few fundamental principles that can find grounding in most of the world's religious and philosophical traditions.
0: Yeah. yeah. Now, Pope John Paul II, uh, again, made human dignity uh, the centerpiece of his teaching on uh, Catholic social teaching. Um, is human dignity at the center of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights? I would say
1: it's the closest that the Universal Declaration gets to having a foundational principle. Okay. But uh, you can see that um, it, uh, even though it said that, John Paul II said, you really have to build uh, philosophical and anthropological foundations, because dignity has now been hijacked by people who want to say there's a right to die with dignity. Right. Uh, right. So. It, 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 there are projects going on uh, to um, to put that that set of principles on a firmer philosophical basis. But if, if I may say so, I think decisive in this whole uh, area is going to be the role of religious groups and religious leaders.
0: Okay. And uh, Mrs. Roosevelt, you understood the importance of religion in this document, right?
1: Yes, very much so.
0: Yeah. Well, Mary Ann, we're out of time, unfortunately, but thank you again for your help, and uh, uh, we'll talk again, Lord willing. Thank you, Al.